Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and happy Tuesday evening. Thank you for making the time in your busy schedule to join us for another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and I want to thank those who might be listening tonight to the program. And if this is the first time that you have ever tuned in to That's Truth, welcome, and we want to make sure that you are aware this is a live, interactive call-in program. We look forward to your interaction, and we are honored that you are listening tonight, and we're going to jump right in with some questions that have come in since last Tuesday's episode, and then we will uh, jump into the end of our topic on narcissism. Pastor, a WhatsApp question. Imagine a victim, as a victim, how hard it is to explain to a counselor or to anyone that this is your experience with your partner and that no one believes you and they even call you insecure. And this is referring to narcissism. It's like running a long marathon and after it's done, falling down. And someone says, you're not fit because you fell down. Pastor, what advice would you give to a Christian who genuinely wants to do what is right and honorable in God's sight? Well, I would suggest to the person who is um, faced with that kind of a situation, um, see if you can get your pastor involved, uh, at least um, he and his wife, uh, to hear the situation and um, have examples of what you're talking about. And the person, if he is a member of a church or goes to church, um, he ought to be confronted, confronted personally, and then later uh, maybe some kind of family counseling. But it, it, um, it, if it's affecting the relationship, and it's certainly going to affect the uh, the children within the home. They're going to pick that up, and you don't want that. Um, this is something that becomes a legacy that's passed on from your husband or your wife to your children. So I think that is something that would need to be addressed. And I would suggest that your pastor get involved in it. The thing about narcissistic people is that, generally speaking, um, you find it hard to believe that they are that way uh, because there's a different personality. And the personality that people meet in the church or they meet uh, other place, um, what you tell them doesn't seem to jibe with what you, what people see, and that is the mask that a lot of people wear. That mask only comes off when the uh, pastor or uh, uh, some counselor is able to sit down with you and you can um, illustrate the situation, give examples uh, to really assess what the real problem is. But I don't think that it's going to um, get any, any improvement by just 
letting it remain as it is, it's going to eat your heart out and it's going to affect your relationship and you're probably going to get a distance in between you and your partner sooner or later because you can only put up with so much and of course it can lead to arguments long, in the long term and intimacy will disappear and that will affect uh, perhaps even encourage infidelity at some point in time. So I think it's a matter of um, see if a, a pastor or a person that you trust um, I don't recommend going to a secular counselors. They have no understanding other than to um, give you some kind of a pill or make some kind of a uh, recommendation. They don't have any biblical background. They don't have any moral background in most cases. And they don't know what biblical principles will apply to that. So I would suggest you try to get help from a Christian believer. And I would recommend um, a pastor to sit down and talk with him and then see if it's from what you're saying, he should be able to evaluate whether this person needs to be confronted. But um, it just can't take your word uh, on its own either. And that's why you're going to need to have the two persons actually together sooner or later. But he should talk to you, talk to the husband, then bring the two of you together and see if there's um, areas that you can begin to work on. The thing about narcissism, I've read, hardly does a narcissist change. Uh, it's a very strange phenomenon. Many times you have to adjust. And if you're committed as a believer, uh, you've got to treat him almost as an unsafe person. Um, mm. But it's very, very difficult uh, for him. Because he doesn't even see that he's a narcissist, to be very honest with you. So it's a very difficult thing to deal with. But you're married. You committed to your marriage. Uh, there's no abuse. Uh, if there's abuse, that's another fact that would need to be taken into consideration. But you should try to save your marriage. And look, uh, I'm telling you what I read, but the Bible makes it quite clear that if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. The Bible makes it quite clear that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who sanctifies the believer. The Bible tells us that we need to renew our minds. If a person is a, uh, has narcissistic tendencies, and this is brought to his attention, is a truly sincere Christian, he should be willing to work uh, with the pastor or the, the counselor uh, to practice certain biblical principles and try to address the matters that you raise as a wife. Uh, whatever the issue is that seems to be narcissistic that you're dealing with, that, that should be confronted and then come up with um, ways of behavioral change and attitudinal change in those particular areas and you work on one and then you work on the other because you you, you know you, it, 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 it's something that's incremental you're not just going to have one bland answer to, to, to all these particular issues manifest in different ways so start dealing with uh, the specifics of what what areas uh, he seems to be very narcissistic or she's narcissistic begin to t target those areas work on those areas and it's going to require both persons to be working together you remember it normally takes about six weeks to mm. change any behavior. And I, I, I want to repeat that. A lot of people think the pastor's got magic wands and counselors have magic wands. There's no magic wands to this whole thing. If you have been having an ingrained habit for 20, 26 years, by what magic do you expect to come to a pastor or any person and expect that within two or three meetings the problem resolved? Uh, so you, you have to have some kind of level of commitment and discipline. Uh, remember that godliness, uh, Paul told Timothy, discipline yourself unto godliness. It's not something that just happens. You don't become more godly by just wishing to be godly. You have to be disciplined in your life to become a godly person. Uh, if the person would like to talk any any uh, further on this matter, you could probably take my number. I wouldn't mind chatting with you, see if it's possible. And if your husband or whoever is willing to um, deal with the matter, um, I would facilitate that if I can. 
you've already touched on this, but a follow-up question from the individual. How can you show a narcissistic person love in a husband-wife relationship? In other words, how do you give someone something they don't want? Well, not only do they don't want, but something they don't deserve it. So how do you, how do, you mm-hmm. do that? Uh, again, I can only suggest to you what our Lord said, right? He said, love your enemies. Uh, he doesn't mean to have good feelings towards your enemies. It means treat your enemy as you would want your enemy to treat you. So I would suggest to you that one of the things that you have to do, uh, I know this might be very, very strange because women are very, very emotional. They respond uh, to tenderness and affection. And if you've got a, a person who's not doing that, it is very difficult to show affection and show tenderness. But in the interest of being obedient to God's Word, in the interest of saving your marriage, the person might be a very good person in spite of the fact, I mean, they have so many different attributes that you could admire. They might be a provider, they don't cheat on you, they're loyal to you, whatever it is. It's just in this particular area they, uh, they demonstrate this horrendous attitude towards you. Um, I would suggest to you that uh, ask the Lord to give you the grace that you can manifest love. Um, as I said, don't look at the feeling part of it now. Uh, treat him as you would want him to, to treat you. And the Bible has a promise that is given to us, uh, I, think it's in, um, I think it's in Romans, that if your enemy hunger, give him uh, to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water. And he says, thereby you build coals of fire upon his head. In other words, I think what the Bible is teaching you here is this, and I, I, I try to emphasize this so often in counseling. You can't massage feelings. You can't inject feelings. You can't change feelings by talking to feelings. The only way that feelings change is when attitudes and behavior change. So to get that person, for you to get back feelings for that person and to gravitate towards emotions towards that person, his attitude has to change and his behavior has to change. He has to understand that. Uh, and, and that is something he can work on and I can work on and you can work on. I can't work on my, I can't, I can't, I can't change, I can't just deliberately change my feelings from hate to love overnight. But if you are showing a behavioral change towards me and an attitude will change to me, I am constituted in such a way that I respond to that with feelings coming back. And that's why I, I sell to people all the time, that's where marriage, all marriages have hope. If people begin to want to work on their attitude and their behavior, once you work on your attitude and behavior, feelings will come back. That's how God wired us. If He didn't wire, wire us that day, I don't know how else we would solve problems. But people get wrapped up with the feeling aspect all the time and understand that it's when behavior change and attitude change, feelings flow. I think all of us have been through those experiences. Uh, and that once that attitude changes, that behavior changes, the feelings begin to uh, generate again. And so that those two things would have to happen. Another follow-up. When it comes to narcissism, there is something called gray rocking that a victim may resort to in order to get some semblance of peace. After years of trying to put a name to the behavior my husband exhibits, I have resorted to gray rocking. It hurts my heart to do it, as I can see it bothers him. But what is the alternative to sheer, but sheer emotional pain? Biblically, is it wrong? And let me just define gray rocking as a technique used to deal with a narcissist or sociopath, psycho, sociopath. Basically, to act like a gray rock means that you become uninteresting and unresponsive to make someone lose interest in you. Yeah. 
Well, basically, it's trying to uh, ignore the person and not paying attention to the person and not responding to the person. It's as though, I think I used the word last time, ghosting, okay. where the uh, the person's in the house, but it's as though they don't exist, They're like a ghost. Uh, gray rocking is basically like that. It's basically becoming like a rock insensitive and, and not responding to the person again. Um, I, I would say that uh, as a believer, um, you should treat, the person with kindness and thoughtfulness, even if it pains you to do that. Look, we got to go through suffering at some point in time. This may be your means of suffering. And uh, as I pointed out to uh, other persons, you know, Paul says that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. What Paul meant is this. When Paul was going through times of suffering, Paul was able to put himself in a situation where he begins to view the suffering from the sufferings of Christ. So when he was in isolation or he was betrayed or he was... Uh, going through physical uh, pain, uh, Paul would try in his own self to see how this reflected uh, the sufferings of Christ. And that put him into the mode where he, he got a f- better understanding of what Christ's suffering was all about. Sometimes uh, that is one thing that you might have to do, subliminate it and look at it from the perspective of trying to get into what Christ suffered for you so you can get, gain a greater appreciation of his sufferings. Um the other thing is that the person has to be confronted at some point in time, and you're going to have to some set some kind of boundaries uh, in relation to that individual. But um, I, I, I think you should still do your fulfill your responsibilities, um, show kindness, uh, and I, as I said before, if you keep doing and uh, showing kindness and thoughtfulness, it will eventually break down that person at some point in time. It'll take time. It's not going to happen overnight. The problem with us is that we try this for two weeks. It doesn't work. And we stop. We go back to the old mode. But it takes about six weeks. And that is where it demands a lot of effort, a lot of sacrifice. If you're, going, if you're really concerned about real radical change uh, and you want to impact him and uh, to change him or to change her, you're going to have to be Christian, not just for two weeks, but at least for six weeks, just just keep showing kindness and thoughtfulness and so on and so forth. Um, and, and prayer. Uh, we can't exclude prayer from that uh, as well because God can change a person's heart. And if you, can, if you are believers uh, and you can get into reading the Word together, um, I think that would be very helpful as well. And it may come to the point where you have to ask for an intervention uh, in, in terms of uh, your, your pastor, uh, if he's going to church with you or whatever. But you need help. And um, you, you try on your own to do your best, but if it's not working, you might need to try to get somebody to confront him on the matter. And do it not in public, in, in private, and maybe to see if he's willing to go for counsel. Because, you know, sometimes men don't respond until they feel threatened, that the relationship is over, that you can't take it up any longer. Uh, I'm not suggesting to you to offer threats, but you might let him know that you can't endure um, uh, this kind of stonewalling for indefinitely, sooner or later uh, you're going to lose your affection for him and uh, he needs to understand that we need to work on the problems together and uh, see what he does there. Pastor, for the individual who is listening and says I'm engaged or I'm dating and hearing this, I'm want to make sure that the person I'm getting ready to marry is not a narcissist. Pastor, what words of advice or comfort? Do we need to be overly paranoid about this? No, I think it's a serious problem. I think it's more serious. I think between 50 and 75% of narcissists are men. 
Okay. So it's not, it's, it's women are too, but what I'm saying, the majority of nurses are men. I I think it might be the fact of how we were um, maybe nurtured as we were coming up. You know, we've got a lot of women that pamper men, and as, I mean, they can't do anything, a child, ch- boy child can't do anything uh, wrong, and you know, I, I think that that carries over and expects that life revolves around them. I think a lot of it, a, a lot of who we are in terms of our personality and the way we think really is, in my in my judgment, ingrained in our upbringing in the home. That's why the home is so crucially important. And I think a lot of this carries over from the home into into everyday life. This is a big problem. But when you're dating, I mean, I, I if, my, if I have a person who is extremely jealous, I, I can't do anything, uh, basically, uh, his my my whole world must revolve around him. Every decision I make is about him, etc. You're dealing with a person who is going to really be controlling, and uh, there are a lot of those things that would help you to understand that can you live with this type of a person, because that is a narcissistic type of a person, very egotistical, um, seem to be very insensitive to to your needs and your problems, and want to be the center of your world. Um, I think those are things that you ought to have some warning signs in that. And, and by the way, you know, information is so valuable. If it's a matter of great concern for you if you're dating a person like that, I mean, you can Google a lot of stuff and you've got a lot of Christian information there that will give you some guidelines on what to look for. So you can actually do your own research on this matter and then compare that research with the individual you're dating. But you certainly have to learn from the mistakes of others because all of us uh, know of situations, I would think, that fits this kind of a profile. And the people are trapped because they're now into a marriage situation and the Bible only gives two biblical grounds for divorce. But we have to live with our consequences and that is why we need to be careful when we are going to marry that we do a thorough investigation and we don't just go into dating where it becomes a purely physical relationship. You'll be asking serious questions, going home, visiting, etc., etc., and doing some reading and, and seeking some counsel from people who have been through this this kind of matter. Um, unfortunately, we never do that, that kind of research and we just rush into a marriage thinking jump into the bed will solve all our problems. Then we discover that that is not the big issue. Uh, by then we've, we've sealed our marriage and we can't just make a vow before God and violate that vow. So sometimes we have to live with our consequences. You mentioned earlier that a lot of times people will wear a mask and the person that people at church see is not the person at home. So how do you ensure that the person that you're dating isn't wearing a mask and that mask is going to come off as soon as you get married and the marriage is sealed. I think the, the more people that you know that know him or know her that you talk to. I mean, if she has a best friend or you know people who dated her before or people in the church, if she's been there a while or he's been there a while before you got there, there are a lot of things that people pick up uh, that could, and you say, listen, I want you to be honest with me and let me, I don't want to rush into a situation like that. Uh, but I think the more you uh, know about a person by inquiring about people who know them. I think the home is very crucial where that person is brought up. You need to visit the home and talk to the parents, etc., etc. I, I don't think there's any other way to find out about a, a person without uh, talking to friends and relatives and especially uh, the home life. I think that is very, very crucial to, to pick up a lot of cues as to what type of personality you're dealing with. We have a WhatsApp question that has come in, Pastor. What's the difference between couples who get married, have kids, and get a divorce after a while compared to couples who have kids 
out of wedlock and are later separated. While marriage is legal, unwed couples who live together with kids aren't legal. How is it different according to God's Word? Well, it is different to God's Word because there's only one um, basis for expressing sex within uh, that's within the context of a monogamous marriage. So, I mean, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage is, 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 is against God's will. It is sin, and it will be punished. So, um, if you want to obey God, you live within the parameters that God has set, which is a, a, a husband and a wife coming together and creating children. That's the biblical model, and that's the only model that the Bible endorses and supports. Any other form of sexual activity outside of that monogamous relationship is, is a sense that the Bible calls it fornication. The Bible calls uh, the other part adultery. And, of course, uh, the Bible condemns homosexuality and bestiality, etc. So, um, the difference basically is that one is the marriage is according to God's will, and children being a byproduct of that marriage according to God's will. To have children outside of marriage, outside of God's will, and is contrary to God's word. And there are repercussions of that. Now, the problem uh, is that it used to be that a person who was married and had children legally, the children had certain legal rights. I think the way the laws are so constructed today now that even the child out of wedlock also had legal rights because uh, it is perceived that you should not disinherit a child who is illegitimate and he ought to have the same rights because it's not his fault. So the law in some ways has, uh, uh, and, and, and we've got to be very reasonable, we, we understand why uh, the law would feel that a person out of wedlock should not be penalized because it's not his fault. But uh, I think by removing a lot of barriers, it actually encourages infidelity, and and I think that those have put some of the consequences. Um, the being married, having children, and later divorcing. Now again, again, divorces in the Bible are only two bases for divorce. That is infidelity, and being abandoned. Uh, so if that person who is married have children and, and later gets divorced outside of God's uh, guidelines, it means that they can't get married again. At least no pastor should should uh, perform a marriage where a person has willfully violated God's word and gone against it. So, uh, so the, the 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 look, what is legal is not always moral, and um, that's the main difference. One is following God's will uh, and marrying and having children. One is having children out of wedlock, which is contrary to God's will. For a believer, there's no question that marriage is the only um, source of uh, having children. Uh, so I hope that helps to clarify matters. Legally, it may not make any difference. It's just a matter of obeying God or not obeying God. And for the believer, obeying God is more important than following human laws. Our next question is in relation to Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 3. With 1,200 chariots and threescore thousand horsemen, and the people were without number that came with him out of Egypt the Lubims, the Sukiums, and the Ethiopians. Pastor, who are the Lubims, Sukiums, and Ethiopians? Yeah, if you have a good Bible dictionary uh, or encyclopedia, you'll find that the Lubians are the Libyans. And the, uh, what's the other ones there? Sukiums. The Sukiums. There are a, um, a group of people that lived on the west side of the Red Sea. So they are actually part of uh, Egypt. So this is a combination of Egypt, uh, the Libyans, and uh, a group that lived uh, around the, the Red Sea. Um, 
in the lexicon, the the Septuagint and also the Vulgate, uh, these um, Sukians uh, are, are, are given a name where they're called cave people because they lived in caves at that point in time. So there's a coalition of, of uh, Egyptians and those living around the Red Sea along with the Libyans who went and invaded uh, Israel because Rehoboam had uh, apostatized from God and God brought these foreign nations against Israel to uh, chasten him and uh, uh, to bring the nation uh, into great uh, trials under these this invading forces. And one other question that has come in, Pastor, if the government of my country is allowing fully vaccinated individuals to no longer wear a mask. I have not been vaccinated, but I don't believe the science behind the so-called masks. Is it wrong for me? Is it a sin for me to not wear a mask? That's a personal question that I think you're going to have to settle for yourself. Uh, for me, as I mentioned before, I've taken the vaccine. I think at 26, I'll take the second one. Um, I think what I would say to you is that this is a matter of conscience f- between you. If you think that... Um, you are one of these people who believe in the conspiracy theory, who believe that maybe it's it's not good to take the, the medication. Uh, some people believe it's the beginning of the market of beast, you know, all that kind of uh, rigmarole that people have. I would suggest to you that whatever decision you make, be willing to pay the consequences. If you're going to violate the government's guidelines, be just be prepared to pay whatever the penalty is going to be. You can't have it both ways. And if you think it's you are so convicted that this is a biblical basis for you disobeying the government, well, you hold to it. But at the same time, uh, whatever legal repercussions you face, just be prepared to do it. I mean, I think the point is coming uh, where pastors uh, in these islands and, and America, I think we're going to have to make those kind of decisions. I think that we are going to be, quite frankly, when we preach the word against uh, same-sex marriage, we preach against uh, transgender, we preach against homosexual and lesbianism, I think a lot of court cases can be brought against us, and we are going to have to decide what we do. Are we going to be muted because we fear the consequences, or are we just obey God and pay the consequences. I mean, we're not the first generation that has had this kind of problem. We're not going to be the last either. The problem is that we've got too many Christian cowards, and I think that's the biggest problem. That's how we got where we are. Uh, Christians not taking a stand on issues when they should, uh, and before they know it, uh, reneging on taking a stand has now led to the point where we're almost losing our rights. Even to be a Christian, to have the or convict, live by our convictions, we begin to lose that. It's a tragedy, and 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 I think we are partly responsible for the situation because we have not taken a stand as we should. How do we reconcile that, Pastor, with the Apostle Paul's approach that we should uh, abide by the government's authority over us? Yeah, but again, we only obey God uh, rather than than man. Uh, the government has a right to to in, in institute certain regulations. If we feel that those regulations are a violation of our conscience and our our relation with God, we follow God rather than than, than government. And that's pretty clear in the Book of Acts, where the disciples, on another basis, were told not to preach. Uh, you know, uh, don't mention the name of this man who was crucified, or don't talk about any resurrection. <laughs> well, what does a believer do in that? The government says you shouldn't do it, but what do you do? What what happens if the government said there's no preaching in any churches in Antigua? 
I mean, that's now coming to rebellion because there must be can't be can't. Our first priority is God, not man. And there are times when uh, Christians come into clash with government. It's happened throughout the centuries, and it's probably coming to that point of time again when uh, when we're going to have to take a stand. But at the same time, we're going to have to take the consequences. And uh, it's just part of the Christian life. And by the way, when people see that we are genuine, we're real, and we do have certain convictions that we prepare to go to jail for or whatever, they will begin to perk up to understand that, you know, this cannot be just... Uh, a human basis or human religion. This has to be something extremely serious. And remember that the, the, when the church is persecuted and there's martyrdom, it's called the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. It, it, for some reason, wherever the church is persecuted, the church grows. It doesn't diminish. That's a shocking thing that surprises everybody, that the church in Iran is growing in spite of the persecution. The church in China is growing in spite of the persecution. Wherever there is persecution, uh, the church grows because people begin to realize that there's, these people don't fear government. They fear God more than government. There's something supernatural here. And there's an attraction about people who are different and willing to pay a price for their stand on a position. Pastor, we have a call from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for the call. And go ahead with your question. Uh, pastor, you believe uh, it is wrong for a pastor to encourage his member to take the vaccine? That is wrong to, for a pastor to encourage? Do you believe it is wrong? Uh-huh. For a pastor to encourage his member to take the, the vaccine. You know, to be very honest with you, I have not promoted the vaccine in our church, but I have everything the government has asked us to do in terms of letting the people know I've done that. I think it's a matter of conscience. If somebody would have asked me uh, about the matter, personally, I don't have a problem with it. But again, it's a person's conscience. A person's conscience has to dictate. The pastor cannot be the conscience for people. Uh, when he becomes the conscience of people, they become dependent upon him. It's their, that person's relationship with God as they study God's Word. And if they are convinced on the matter, I think that they ought to take a stand on the, mat, on, on the issue. But as for me, I don't really have a problem. And I, uh, I would not try to promote it because I know people have different uh, convictions on this matter. I would say to them, you know, I've, I've, I've taken the vaccine. I, I don't believe in, in the conspiracy theories, etc., etc. But I, I, um, I'm not going to either way um, say it's right or it's wrong because for me it's a personal matter because there's nothing in the Bible that tells me that I shouldn't take a vaccine or I should take a vaccine. This It's not there. The only principle that would relate to this matter would be whether or not you obey the government or if you feel convicted of, of something and you're biblically convicted, whether you obey the government or you live by your biblical convictions. I think that's where the challenge comes at this point in time. There are gray areas in life that we'll always have, and those gray areas can, can only be uh, resolved uh, by the individuals taking the Scripture, looking at the Scripture, and coming to a decision on a matter based on scripture. Because I, I, I had talked to a brother today, and he told me that the way the government is going around the vaccine, like you're going to make it mandatory in your workplace, that mm-hmm. that is how the Antichrist is going to start. Yeah. Because the, the BC cannot buy, he cannot sell. Yeah. 
cannot go to the bank yeah. talking with your government approaching it. Yeah, but let me, let me make a little subtle distinction there. Any government that had suggested that we, we had to receive a mark or a vaccine, uh, we couldn't buy or we couldn't sell, that's just something completely different. You have a biblical thing there now. So it is very, very clear that this is now using economic controls to get you to coerce you to do something. I think, personally, I think that the government is concerned about the possibility of infection and the death that flow from infection. I think that's the real issue as far as governments are concerned. You know, don't forget America's loss of, I think, I think it's like 700,000 people. Uh, I think in India right now, I saw today on the thing, 25 million people are infected with this thing. And there are people dying in the streets. I know Brazil has lost a lot of lives as well. Europe has lost a lot of lives. And I think that's what the government is really concerned about. Uh, I think they're really concerned about infecting people and the possibility that especially your, your age pays a lot to do with it. If you have a precondition, you have sugar, you have diabetes, you have pressure, and you get uh, this thing, uh, this infection, it's possibly going to take you down. And I think that's what they're concerned about. The young people, you don't have to worry too much with young people and the children because they're so virulent and so strong. I think they're more concerned about the aging population as far as that is concerned. So that's how I see it. I don't see it as a... Uh, intention to to uh, control you and coerce you to you know I, to manipulate. I don't feel it that. I think they really have a genuine concern that the country. I, I remember that the government has to bear a lot of this cost as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, quarantining you, feeding you, taking care of you. I don't know what's involved in all of that, but think of what that means if you have two hundred people or three hundred people come down with the infection. Uh, how, how, I mean, the government already doesn't have money. When the tourism industry dies in Antigua and the Caribbean, listen, every single Caribbean country, every single island uh, is almost bankrupt because when the tourism dollar doesn't flow, that's the, the main industry in the Caribbean. The government doesn't have money tree that it can just go and pick money. It has to get revenue, and it gets revenue from the tourism industry. And, and when it's learned that the Antiguan public, uh, and it gets to the news that there's 300 people in Antigua and you get banned, you're not going to get tourism back here, so the country can never ever be restored to some kind of semblance of normalcy. And with the depletion of resources again and again and again and again, you keep borrowing, borrowing, borrowing until you can't borrow anymore. What happens to a country when that happens? And you don't open back up. I mean, you, you've got to look at it from the government point of view as well. So I don't think it's a matter of trying to have a strong arm and wring people's hand to to do something they don't want to. I think the government is generally concerned about the health of the nation and getting the country back to a point where uh, revenue can start flowing again by bringing back uh, tourism to the country. I think that's what they're concerned about. So I don't think it's just the fact that they're just trying to control you or control me. I, I don't see it that way. I really don't see it that way. Well, Dr. Mania has the same opinion. Okay. I believe that too. Yeah. I, look, I, I, look in spite of, I know, look, the problem is what has happened, I think the whole thing has been made look this way because... Don't forget, everybody became suspicious of the vaccine because of the previous, uh, the government that's in power now in America. They were always saying that this is done hastily. I mean, they made everybody distrust the vaccine. Now the vaccine is now available and they now need it. They now change the tune. So what has happened? People are saying, but wait a minute. How can we trust what you're saying when what you're saying before doesn't jive with it? So it's created this whole atmosphere of distrust. I don't think they really understood the repercussions of what they were saying and now they're reaping what they've sown 
and I think that has helped to uh, create the, 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 the problem we're having today um, uh, and so on so I really think that it's a, a a bad public relations job that was done and it made to make the other party look so bad but now it's turning around to bite the party in power and they're having their own problems in this matter and that spreads uh, globally so I, I think that um, they've helped create the problem that they, they can't seem to solve at this point in time Yes, and thank you so much. God bless you as well. Thank you for the call. Appreciate you partnering together with the Lighthouse and for your faithful calls into That's Truth. Continue to encourage others to tune in. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It is live from 7.30 until 9 p.m. every Tuesday evening. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.07. Make that 8.08. And we are answering questions that have come in before we jump back to our topic of narcissism. Pastor, before we get to our topic, just one more follow-up in relation to that. If I, as a Christian, are to ignore the government's mask uh, mandate or laws Mm -hmm. based on my biblical conviction, wouldn't I have to find a verse in my Bible that said uh, something about not wearing a mask because it's pagan or something along those lines? Would you? you are, am I making sense? No, no, I think what has happened here is that they're linking this um, attempt of government to coerce you to do something with the Antichrist, coming Antichrist, and I think what it's thinking is that this is a preparation mm-hmm. for that to come. So they are linking it with uh, some kind of a biblical concept. Okay. Uh, the question is, is it a legitimate linkage? For me, it's not, to be very honest with you. And again, that goes back to interpretation. But I would say to people that if you're not going to take the, um, the vaccine, and it is a scientific uh, fact that you sh- wearing the mask would stop infections, I think you owe it to other individuals to wear the mask. To be very honest with you, I think that the fact that you are not wearing the mask and you know that you can be infected or you can infect other people, I think indirectly you are causing harm to individuals. So I think that uh, if you decide not to take the vaccine, you should be willing and prepared to take uh, to wear the mask uh, until such time as uh, the government says that um, there's no need for the mask. But the government uh, has to look after the welfare, not just of you. It has to look after the welfare of the island in its totality. And uh, again, as I said, it's very expensive. If you have to get respirators and put people on respirators, I'm not even sure what the cost of those things. Imagine having to get 200 or 300 of those respirators and use them. So try to look at it not just from your angle, but try to look at it from the perspective of government having a general concern for the welfare of the country and the health of the country and wanting to get the country back on track because all these Caribbean islands are off track right now when it comes to funding. If I might inject here to say one last thing about this matter, I really think the Caribbean and these third world countries should get together and use their moral power to insist that China puts aside some billions of dollars to to salvage these economies because (laughs) they they created the problem which could have been prevented. There's no question about that. This is a a thing that could be prevented, and uh, they didn't put anything in place to do it. I don't know at law uh, in the world court if something can be done, but I think if enough moral pressure is brought up, 
and China by the third world countries these that are suffering as a result of, of the, the revenue loss uh, I would be uh, uh, kind of surprised if China doesn't at least respond in some way to try to help these, these struggling economies but I think something needs to be done because we are really really in difficult problems and I don't know how the governments are surviving in the Caribbean without having tourism revenue I just don't know how they're doing it Difficult, trying days we live in. I was just thinking today, two years ago, we had no clue what was coming our (laughs) way. But it's awesome to know that we have a God who was not taken by surprise by the circumstances. As we continue our topic from last week, last week we were talking about narcissism or the narcissist. And we, as we finished out the episode last week, we ran out of time right as we were talking about what is the cause of narcissism. And Pastor, I believe you were asking me to look up James chapter 3. Yeah, James chapter 3, read verse 14 to 16. The thing I reason why I doing that, you know, there's nothing new under the under the heavens. I think the, the the Bible makes that clear in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new. So narcissism is not something new. We've always had narcissistic people. It's just that what we are good at these days is labeling, mm-hmm. uh, labeling people. But don't think this is something new. There's nothing new. And then in uh, Corinthians uh, ten, it says there's no temptation or testing that you've come your way that is not common to man. So clearly there's nothing new under the heavens. Man has always been man. Man is a fallen creature, sinful nature, selfish, mean, basically, self-centered. Uh, and that comes out in uh, in more ways than one. Some people in more ways than, than one, and that's what these particular signs uh, pick up. But it's not that we are, you know, it's not that this is something new. It's not nothing new. James chapter 3, verse 14 through... 16. 16 says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Verse 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Yeah, and the, 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 the verse there that um, talk about envy and strife, the word there in the Greek language is selfish ambition. And the whole idea is that um, you have jealousy and, and bitterness within you uh, because you're so ambitious that the world really revolves around you. So it's, it's, it's indirectly, it's a reference to people who are very self-centered and, uh, and, and narcissistic in, in their thinking. Um, and they're very, very arrogant as well. And uh, and, and James says, if, if you read the, the passage, uh, notice his reference there to the heart. Uh, verse 14, but if you have bitterness and envy and strife in your hearts, yeah. glory not. Again, again, that, that, that gives you an idea where this thing comes from. You know, people try to make it as though it's a genetic problem, a biological problem, an environmental problem. I do believe that it's a conglomeration of all of these factors. And I, I, I really think that uh, f- from what the Scripture is saying here, that this kind of a narcissistic uh, uh, posture really comes from within the sinful heart. Our Lord himself has made it very, very clear that the problem with man is his heart. And he said, out of the heart come all of these things out of man. So we need to understand that this narcissistic um, attitude and, and narcissistic disposition really is part of our fallen nature. It's just that it is expressed in, in, in certain persons uh, different ways and it is nurtured I believe in the home I pointed out uh, Nathan a few months ago that uh, parents sometimes spoil their children you got a guy who 
he can't do anything wrong. He's, he's, he's everything. All his needs are met. Uh, if he falls, a pill is put onto him. I mean, he, he grows up where he feels entitled. He goes into a relationship where he thinks the whole world revolves around him. The parents have helped develop that narcissistic selfishness in him and it develops over time as he gets into school the teacher corrects him and they go and cuss the teacher off because that's my child I mean this happens again and again and then that person gets married later and create all this chaos he has a sinful nature it's very basically selfish that was nurtured in the home and as he's growing up in the school it is nurtured as well and eventually he comes to an adult and he into a relationship so what I'm saying here that the, the basic cause of it is, is a human sinful nature that comes from the heart that's, what that, that, that's where it is we give it a more a, a modern label but it's not a new problem and uh, without all the frill from the fall from the psychological jargon it is basically a person being selfish uh, to the extent where they want uh, everybody to be at their beck and do everything that they want. I mean, I think we all know people like that at some point, whether you went to school with them or something. They're spoiled brats, to be very honest with you, and they carry that over into the adult life. And the only problem is they carry it into the marriage. Uh, uh, but, you know, a lot of people who are dating these people pick that up way ahead of time as well. Uh, it must always be his way. It's never my way. Um, uh, even if I... It's always that... Uh, he has he his in other words, I can't reason with him. It always comes around where he puts me around his finger and get me to do whatever he wants. Uh, it is always that I am wrong. He's always right. You know, it's that kind of a thing that is that that kind of a quality, and it develops and it goes into the marriage. But I think it it begins in the sinful heart, and it is nurtured in the home. And if it's not dealt with in the school, it's carried over into the workplace, and then eventually it ends up with the adult. We have a WhatsApp question that's come in. Good evening. My apologies for tuning in late. Not sure if my question about gray rocking in a marriage situation was answered. Is it against biblical principles? It was answered. Pastor, we have a real brief explanation here, but you can listen to the rebroadcast on Tuesday, excuse me, on Saturday afternoon at 3.30 p.m., and we discussed it in depth in the first 30 minutes of the Yeah, I, I, um, Gray Rockin', we, we gave the definition of it, and we let people basically know it. it's really ignoring the person and uh, trying to not uh, connect with them and um, basically like a rock, a dead rock. Uh, ghosting is another word that people use sometimes where the, you, the person doesn't seem to exist and you don't encourage intimacy and interaction. Basically, you kind of avoid the person, etc., etc. Uh, I'm assuming that you are a believer from the language that you wrote in the thing. So I, what, we suge- what I mentioned to you is that uh, people like that uh, who are narcissists, from all the reading I've done so far, uh, the the possibility of change is very, very low, very, very remote. Generally speaking, you're going to have to make up in your mind that you're going to either stay or leave uh, with the person, but the the change is not going to be, um, it's going to be incremental if there's a change. It's not going to be uh, radical. It's something we'll have to work over a prolonged period of time. But meanwhile, as a believer, uh, you still act as a believer. You still do your duties as a wife. Uh, if you are married to the person, uh, you do show kindness and thoughtfulness. Um, um, and I think you need this uh, eventually. 
um, confront the person. And what I mean by that, you might need to have somebody to help you in that regard. You might need to find uh, a pastor if you he's going to the church or you're going to. Um, you need uh, if he's not going, you need to see if he's be willing to go and, and have a, some counseling sessions or some help in that regard. But it cannot continue indefinitely the way that uh, you are saying. Uh, if you have children, it's going to reflect uh, in, in the home. It's going to have an impact on the children. And not only would your life be miserable, but theirs are going to be as well. And they're going to have all kinds of insecurities because they're not going to sure, be sure uh, about the enduring relationship between the husband and the wife. So I think you need to get some kind of help. And the the thing that you need to identify when you're going to go to counseling is try to identify the areas where the person seems to be narcissistic. In other words, you're going to have to deal with specifics. Um, and you, in dealing with those specifics, the person that's counseling is going to have to assign homework. And when I say homework, uh, in other words, this week, uh, let's suppose that he always gets his way when you're going out. He never gives you an option of whether you go to, to Kentucky or you go to, um, I don't know these places, Subway. Yeah, Sub- Subway or Banana, stuff like that. He always, you know, that that's an area that would have to be discussed and the idea that, um, you know, you should have a legitimate choice in those kind of matters. In other words, narcissism manifests itself in many, many different ways. So you have to identify those areas that are of great concern to you so that in the counseling process, these can be raised, they can be looked at and examined and uh, discussed, and then come up with a strategy of how to uh, systematically deal with one at a time. And remember, it takes about six weeks to, to really bring about any radical change. I keep emphasizing that. The problem with most people that you would try to change your husband by doing something for two weeks. If he doesn't change, you give up. And then you get into this frustration. Then you try again. You go for three weeks. And then you give up. You start. So what happened? The vicious cycle continues because uh, you're, you're, it's not become a habit until at least you've done this thing for six weeks. And same thing with your husband. When he begins to change and deal with these specific issues, he has to be prepared to do whatever is required for six weeks. He can't do it for two weeks and then drop off and go back for another week. You keep going two steps forward and two steps, so it ends up in a cycle of frustration. But if two people are really willing uh, to deal with matters, uh, your feelings for your husband can be generated again if he does two things. If he changes his attitude and he changes his behavior towards you, I guarantee you that if he is willing to work on his behavior and his attitude towards you, you will discover that those feelings that were buried and seem to be dead will begin to vibrate. That's the way God has made you. And that's the way God has made me. I Any person that uh, is having difficulty with another person, whether you hate them with a passion, if the other person responds to you uh, in the right way and shows the right attitude towards you, even though you hold that resentment for a long period of time, if they are consistent in a change attitude, consistent in, in good behavior, I, I'm telling you, your feelings will change eventually towards it. And that's a biblical principle that we talked about, that the Bible talks about. You know, if your enemy hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty. And he said, thereby you build coals of fire on his head. In other words, you burn him up on the inside until actually he melts and uh, feelings begin to be generated again. But your situation is not easy. I can hear your pain. I understand your um, your anguish. But if you're a believer, you've made vows before God, and it's not the ideal. But again, uh, sometimes we have to endure suffering for Christ's sake, 
Uh, but uh, again, we've got to have hope that God can transform and God can change. So keep talking to the Lord, keep praying, and trying to get some help. If you've got a pastor that can do some good counseling, do that. Um, please uh, do that. If you, I, I also mentioned that if you, if you want to talk to, uh, if you feel like I can be of any help, honestly, if you really feel like I can be of any help, I'd be willing to try to help you. If you feel like I can, uh, I can talk to your husband, uh, uh, have some sessions with him. But again, I, I want specifics, and I want uh, if he does come, I want to be able to look at those specific areas that you're concerned about, and then you've got to be pledging and committed to actually acting to deal with those areas in very practical ways. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.23. We are uh, discussing the topic of narcissism. Do you have a question that you'd like to ask? You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 268-462-7420. The line is open and waiting for you to call. Again, that is 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 268- 782-1454. Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question or a suggested topic there in the comment section. Nathan, coming back to the, the thing that we're discussing about the cause of it and the source of it, you notice that in the same passage you read, it says that this kind of uh, wisdom, and it calls it wisdom, meaning kind of worldly way of looking at life. It says three things about it. Uh, it said it is earthly. That's the worldly. It is sensual. Sensual. The word sensual there is natural. Okay. It's of the flesh. And, and it devilish. Is, the word is demonic. You remember that we got three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil? Mm. That's exactly why that James used that term. That's where the, the, the those things come. So this is a, and the word natural has to do with the, the, the human flesh, the fallen nature. So that gives you an idea where this, this, this type of behavior comes from. Uh, it, it's demonic. Uh, and, and, you, and you remember that the, uh, the thing about Satan is that he wanted the whole world to revolve around him. Uh, he wanted not only to be God, but be above God, to be honest with you, and uh, he didn't get his way. So I just think that we need to understand that the source here, we're talking about um, man's fallen nature. We're talking about the influence of the world, which would be the environment in which a person is, and we might talk about the home, etc. And then, of course, there's always a demonic element because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I think we are very unaware of the invisible aspect to our problems. But the Bible tries to pull back the veil to let us understand it's not just a fleshly, worldly battle we're involved. There are spiritual forces trying to undermine us and to destroy us. And James just removes the, the windows, that were, and shows us that these are three elements that are actually engaged in this narcissistic um, behavior. I think naturally the next question is, is there a cure or what is the solution to narcissism? Well, if it, uh, as we mentioned to you, it comes from the fallen nature. If it is the influence of uh, environmental worldly upbringing, if it has the element of uh, uh, invisible powers that are trying to undermine, I would suggest to you that uh, you deal with it as you deal with any sin. And that means actually uh, confrontation. Because the person, listen, a narcissistic person don't even realize sometimes he's narcissistic. You're telling me he's narcissistic, but he can't figure it out. And you have to bring examples to actually, and sometimes, by the way, it's only when somebody else who is not connected with him emotionally 
or socially says to him, man, that's exactly how you're like. <laughs> you, sometimes you need a wake-up call, to be very honest with you, and you don't normally see it yourself, so sometimes a wake-up call is needed. So I think it would come to a matter of confrontation. Uh, it needs to be a matter of seeking forgiveness. Uh, if it's a sin, that's the only way to deal with sin, seeking forgiveness. I think also um, it comes to a matter of this, this if the person is a Christian, um, it has a matter to deal with that person of the sanctifying work of God in the believer's life. If, you know, we're dealing with Romans chapter 6. I think this may be an appropriate way to begin to deal because a person might uh, offer the excuse, that's how he's made. Uh, this is my character, you know, uh, and he doesn't want to change. I think sometimes you have to bring to bear upon uh, his conscience the biblical doctrine of this transformation that takes place and how the Holy Spirit is at work in the believer's life and how God is transforming that person and what took place at the new birth so that that person uh, have all these excuses um, uh, demolished. The other thing I would say is that um, sometimes you need some kind of a support group. Um, if the wife is the one that is going through all this pain, she needs uh, some persons or individuals to help to support her going through this, this period of, of dealing and coping with this matter. I think this is one of the great weaknesses of our churches, to be very honest with you. We don't have support groups to help. Uh, one thing I admire about American churches, they've got all kinds of support groups for almost every single condition. They have people who are willing to volunteer their time and their effort to help people who are struggling with issues. Uh, so I think that is needed. And also the, the, the person who is the uh, the narcissist, uh, again, uh, he needs help. And generally speaking, uh, somebody needs to be connected with him who is a mature believer, uh, who holds him accountable, and uh, calls him periodically to find out if what uh, has been suggested is being implemented and what level of success is being experienced and uh, whatever changes need to be made. But uh, forgiveness, uh, confession, confrontation, um, keep on praying for the person. But I think also there needs to be some kind of a support. And anything else that you'd like to mention, Pastor, in relation to the cure solution for narcissism? Well, the other thing I would I would say to you, uh, uh, as far as this is concerned, is that the I didn't mention the matter of repentance. But I think once this person is, is, is pointing out that this is his problem and that this is actually a sin, uh, I think that repentance ought to be exhibited uh, in this person's life. And I think you should call upon them to, to repent. It's not just counseling and talking. There has to be some kind of real um, decision-making. And repentance is, is a biblical principle that ought to be uh, practiced by people who know, uh, uh, recognize that they're sinful. How do you, you were referencing this support group, and I think that's great, but how do you keep a support group from becoming a gossip session behind your husband's back or your wife's back? That's probably one of the most difficult things, and that's the problem with uh, any kind of support group, um, that you've got to have people that um, you can trust and have confidence in. Uh, I don't have a, a magic answer to that. I think that um, hopefully you can find within the church people who are willing to... Um, help people with issues and let whatever is discussed remain within the small group or within the individual. Um, but I, I, confidentiality is something that you just can't, you can't just um, put it in people, basically. You either have it or you don't have it. Uh, and I think that um, a pastor would not recommend somebody that, in his judgment, 
was not a suitable person to, to try to deal with the problem, a healthy person. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.30. We are broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua on 11.60 a.m., 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Have you been enjoying the program, That's Truth? I hope that you have. Do you have a topic that you would like us to discuss in a future episode? We would love to hear your topic and be able to discuss it. Pastor, we have a caller from St. Kitts. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Uh, Good night. Good night, sir. How are you doing? Thanks for calling. How can we help you? Yes. Um, actually, so many years now, I'm hearing, you know, the saying, you know, by many, that our Lord return is near. Uh-huh. So I would like to ask, are you one that, um, who believes that our Lord return is very near? Yeah, I happen to, uh, to believe that, uh, and I think that there are signs of the times that indicate that. If I could just, you want me to comment on it, or you want it to? I Yeah, uh, look, I think that we are, for example, Israel is back in the land. Uh, 2,000 years, they were not a nation, 1948. Uh, so I think that's one of the surest indications. Look at what is happening in uh, the far... Uh, uh, so, sorry, are we live? Are we in here? Yes, we're on the air. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening. I don't know why, why I actually because I'm, I'm listening to the on the outside, but I'm not hearing anything. Oh, you're not hearing anything? I'm at, uh, I'm at a distance. Uh, okay. Uh, we're one one minute delayed, so you won't hear yourself until a minute after you have spoken on the air. Yeah. But let me let me respond to you very quickly. Um, uh, uh, I'm saying that there are several reasons for believing that. I mentioned the fact that the Lord had promised to return Israel to Palestine. And that was a prophe- prophecy in Ezekiel. It's also a prophecy in Jeremiah and Isaiah. That only took place in 1948. Number two, uh, the Bible said that Jerusalem be trodden on the foot until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Israel has just recently made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. And the Bible said the time of the Gentile comes to an end very soon when Israel again Jerusalem is no longer on control of the Gentiles. The other thing is, look at the the the, uh, the military configuration in the Far East. You've got Russia, you got Iran, and you got Turkey. Uh, and the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter thirty-eight that in the end time, Israel is going to be invaded by a coalition of Russian and Arabic nations, and those nations that are mentioned are Persia. Persia is uh, Iran, Persia, the name Persia was that the, Iran was Persia until 1956. The name turned to Iran. Uh, it is interesting that Russia was never back in the Middle East. They were out of the Middle East. But remember that it's only in, in recently that Russia got back into the Middle East, and they, that is, they fooled the previous administration. When they woke up, the Russians were already in that part of the world. So you've got, you've got, and then you've got the coalition of these Arab nations that are aligning themselves now with Russia. The Bible predicts in Ezekiel 30 and 39 that there's going to be a coalition of Russia and Arabic nations that will invade Israel. 
that is, and when you see the, the, the configuration that's happening today, it's very, very clear that these nations are, those nations, by the way, that form the coalition are going to be Iran, which is Persia, mm -hmm. Russia, which is Rosh, and then you've got Libya is going to be one of those, and Sudan is going to be one of those. Those are the ones that I mentioned. And Turkey is going to be one of those as well. It's called Togomer. So when you see these nations already in the configuration that they're in, uh, it should indicate that this we are in a, a point where... Uh, the other thing is technology. We've never had the technology where you can actually put a mark in a man and read it by a machine. Now that is so common that it can be done tomorrow. The Bible talks about a mark of the beast in the forehead and the hand. Nobody understood what that meant. It didn't make any sense today. <laughs> it, it, the technology is already there. The other thing is this. When the false prophet, when the two prophets God is going to raise up in the end time, they are killed. The Bible said the whole world will see them rise from the dead. That could only happen if there was television and satellite television. Everybody uh, couldn't understand, well, how could that be? Uh, that, you know, when the Bible, how could that be that the whole world would see them today? We smile when we read that verse. All of these factors are trying to say to you, we are coming to a situation where what God has predicted that men thought was impossible and trying to come with all kind of distorted in mis interpretations to explain the Bible away, we are now to the point where we begin to understand that the things are coming together and it's making such absolute sense today. Uh, and if you look at the nations that uh, the Bible talks about in the end time as well, um, we know that the king of the east is going to become a superpower. That's Russia. That, that's, um, that is China. And uh, I mean, it talks about Europe. America is going to going to decline. You're going to discover that it's going to decline, and Europe is going to uh, come back to some kind of ascendancy because it's going to be reviving of the Roman Empire. You find that in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel chapter two, and uh, you find it in Revelation chapter thirteen and Revelation chapter fourteen. So that is why. So when you begin to look at the geopolitical situation, you begin to look at the situation with Israel. And the Bible says, by the way, about Israel, that Israel will become like a, um, like a, a hot stone in, in, in the hands of the nation. Nobody will want to, to handle her. And, and quite frankly, she's seen as the troubled spot of the world. Uh, so I, when you look at those kind of... Look at the apostasies happening in the church as well. That, 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 the, that there'll be a falling away from the faith. How can you comfort churches now having homosexual pastors, endorsing lesbianism, supporting transgenderism, same-sex marriage? All of that was going to happen. He said, as it was in the days of Noah and the, uh, and the day of Sodom and Gomorrah, we'd return to those days. We are now living in those days. Did you ever think in your lifetime, sir, that it would become legal and people think it's all right for a man to marry a man, a woman to marry a woman? I mean, these are things that were beyond our comprehension. Now we're seeing it take place before us, and it's being defended as something that is Christian and loving and caring. And if you go against it, you're a bigot, you're intolerant, you're a hater, you're homophobic, you're being lambasted and labeled and blacklisted if you speak out against things that are clearly wrong in the Scriptures. How did we get here? It's all part of what our Lord said is going to happen. And look at the level of deception we have today. You can't even believe the press. They tell you lies for two years or four years, and then you discover they're all lies. Uh, you don't know who to trust these days. 
we are coming to that state of utter confusion where the man called the Antichrist will arise and he will offer a solution to the world's problem. He's going to be a great orator, a great economist, a brilliant mind, and that's what people are looking for. Someone who can offer solutions, but he would be the wrong one. He would be an imposter, and the world will go after him and be deceived. It's all predicted in Scripture. It will come to pass. God foresaw it. He recorded it. And we just have to look at the times in which we live to understand that the Lord's near, nearness is much sooner than we think. Okay. Um, sounds that interesting. Okay. Now, how do you... Um um, explain the horses, the white, red, black, and pale. How do you? Well, I think the, I think the, the the text actually explains it uh, in the text. These are just figurative expressions. By the way, those same horses are found in the book of Zechariah. So if you want to understand Revelation, you've got to understand Zechariah. You've got to understand Daniel. Daniel is the key to prophetic understanding of the whole the whole book of Revelation. If you don't understand Daniel, you'll never understand Revelation. But that has to do with the Antichrist when he comes on the scene. He comes as a, a, as a man riding on a right horse, a symbol of peace. He has a, he has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. He doesn't arise out as a military man destroying the world. He comes as a man of peace, a man who is going to offer solutions. That's what the world is looking for, by the way, today. Somebody who will offer peace and solutions. But he's going to be a deceiver. And then you're going to find that he will turn, and then you discover the, the, uh, the destruction. Uh, I think there's death, there's famine, there's going to be war. he become a warmonger now. He comes as a man of peace, but then he turns into a, a, a militant person. He brings war on planet Earth. And that creates uh, famine. When you've got war, you've got famine. And then you've got death and Hades writing. That has to do with the results and the consequences of war. So the book of Revelation and those, f- those four horses are symbolic representations of the man of peace that's going to come, the war that's going to come, out of war comes famine, out of famine comes death and Hades. But again, if you okay. take... Sorry. Okay, um... You know, I um I too somehow have a different take um, on the um the horses. What what's your take? Um uh, you know the Bible speaks about the the um seven heads. Yeah, uh huh. Right. And it speaks about um how the number got up to number six and the seventh one is to come. Yeah. Okay, good. Now when I consider, I go back to the horses. When I consider the horses, uh-huh. I somehow have this strong belief that it is speaking about presidents, uh-huh. as in meaning the last, you know, four, four presidents, four presidents in America, uh-huh. beginning with Bill Clinton, uh-huh. on to George Bush, uh-huh. then Bar- Barack Obama, uh, then, then Trump. Um, Trump. Uh, what do you mind the name? Um, Trump. Trump. Donald Trump. Yeah. I give you my, my reason. When you consider um, when Bill Clinton came into office, America was very, very powerful economically, military, mm-hmm. you know, of very great influence, very respected and everything. Who, who's very respected? America. America. Yeah. You know? Under who? Uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, when he got into power. Yeah. And Bill Clinton was in power. Uh-huh. But if America would like peak when Bill Clinton was in power. Uh-huh. But then shortly after Bill Clinton left, uh-huh. 
And let us come to him. Remember, he was a president. During his tenure, there was no war. Yeah. It was a peaceful reign. No war. C- can, I just stop you for, can I just stop you for one thing yeah. here, by the way? I mean, yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to... I'm not trying no, to debate no, no. with you here. Uh, no, 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 nobody destroyed the moral fabric of America more than Bill Clinton. I don't know if you know that. So while you might I say that there was no, there was no war, except that in terms of the actual fabric of the country, the moral fabric, nobody destroyed it. He, okay. he is the one, by the way, that began this whole accept, uh, acceptance of homosexuality and so on. I don't know if you know that. He's the one that started appointing yeah. these type of people to positions in government and began to enable yeah. this kind of a movement. So I, 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 from a Christian perspective, I don't judge things basically on, on military economic. I look at moral and spiritual. So that's how I look at things uh, in terms of how I look at governments and look at leaders. I don't, I don't base leaders based on whether or not you, you know, they brought the economy to, 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 to a certain level or the, 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 the military to a certain level. I look yeah, at the Christians. Let me, let, me, let me speak on then. Uh-huh. You, may see, you may see differently to what I, you know, uh-huh. so how you see it. Yeah. How you see that, how you see it. Uh-huh. Now, I was saying that um, during his tenure, uh-huh. America was very powerful economically and military. Mm-hmm. But yet there was no war. Uh-huh. So all she was so strong military wise, there was no war. Uh-huh. Now he I pussy as the one or I believe to be the one who came with the bow or without arrow and without the arrow. Meaning yes, you have weaponry but no fighting. Yeah, yeah but can I can, can I stop can I stop you there for can I stop you there for just a moment? Okay, stop you for just a moment. We are not in the tribulation period as yet. So what that, no. that has nothing to do with the tribulation period. If you, the tribulation period, if you look at uh, Daniel chapter... Let me speak on, I will tell you what I mean, but you, you, you're trapping me all the well, time. We, 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 we do have some time constraints yeah, on the program. Yeah, we've got time constraints. Maybe we can please. talk about this off the radio for just a moment, I mean, no, afterwards or something. Could you give me a second, please? Okay, go ahead fast, quickly. Very, very quickly. Uh-huh. Okay, please. Sure. Our descendants following him would have been George Bush. Right. But the Bible says, the rider of the pale horse... Uh-huh. Removes peace from the earth. Uh-huh. Notice when George Bush was in power, uh-huh. America again was very, very, you know, top-notch uh-huh. military-wise. Uh-huh. But then, in its in its um, peak of power, uh-huh. you find it, it was being attacked internally, uh-huh. right. and that trouble it is like peace was removed. Not from, from the, the earth, from, from America, world, but from not from the world. earth. Yeah. But what's the third one then? The third one, Obama. The third one then. No, say over. Oh, I see you rushing now. No, okay, I was saying quickly though. Uh-huh. But then, because America got such a hard blow, they find out they retaliated and they went in the east and took out Hussein. Yeah. When they did that, now what happened? You remove the iron fist that had under control many, should I say? Bad, bad groups. Right, right, right. And so when these groups were set free because the, the iron fist was removed, then uh. you find these guys were able not to move far into different parts of the world and continue the havoc of the world. And so yeah. the world become very stressed. Right, right. Number three. Losing, losing peace. So, okay, number three. So the, number three now. Obama. So then now, you find during um, which time, the economy had j- dropped very, very low. Yeah. Okay. We're, we need we need to move. Go ahead. Very quickly. I'll give you thirty more seconds. When oh my when Obama came, you know what happened is that you see how the 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 
Republicans seeing his color. Uh -huh. They were not willing to work with him. I, I don't really want to get any high praise. Uh -huh. And so you find that these guys, they, 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 they stay, uh -huh. they pocket. They uh -huh. would not invest. They would not release the dollars. And so you find it's like America having two parties, the Republican and Democrats. It's like you could see like a bike, a, a motorcycle with two pistons. When the two pistons are working, you get good power. But one of the pistons was working, and so you find the Democratic piston alone was just yeah. trying to push the country. And so you cause the economy to go very, very low. Yeah. So the Bible said the rider of the, of the black horse uh -huh. had a face balances in his hand. Uh -huh. And you speak about how a, power, uh, a body of this today. So, so you talk about economic hardship. And if you look at it, under Obama, the world suffered economic hardship. But then the Bible says, Following the black horse with the pale horse. Uh -huh. Now, why a pale horse? I find that to be very interesting. Now, pale is not a solid color. Pale is the uh -huh. um, the result of something. It's a condition based on something. Yeah. Meaning, I I I, I <laughs> understand that to mean that the one who followed the black horse is not a politician, and so he doesn't have a color. Politicians have color. Yeah. White is a politician. All right. I hate to interrupt you, but we've given you about six or seven minutes of the program, yeah. and uh, we get the general idea, so we're going to let Pastor answer it from a biblical perspective, yeah. and then we will move on. Yeah, look, I, I, I want to talk to you all over the phone sometime, um, so if you want to talk about this in great detail, all I would say to you is that uh, what you're saying there has no connection with what the book of Revelation teaches, okay? The, the book of Revelation from chapter... Uh, five, chapter four, right down to ch the end of the chapter, has to do with the Great Tribulation period, and it's it, it, so it's, it has nothing to do with with Obama. It has nothing to do with Bush. It has nothing to do with any of those guys. Those that that reference has nothing to do with that. It has, if you check uh, Daniel chapter nine, verse twenty-five and following, it talks about the, the 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 final week, the seven years of of uh, that will come about, and our Lord talks about it in Matthew chapter twenty-four. Uh, and again, if you look in the book of Revelation, the book of uh, Zechariah explains to you what those horses are. So you don't have to invent the horses. It tells you exactly what those horses are. The speculation that you've given there is nothing new about far as that is concerned. Um, but there's no connection between uh, uh, Clinton, Bush, uh, Donald Trump, and Obama when it comes to that part of Bible prophecy. Um, as a matter of fact, America is not even mentioned in Bible prophecy. So it has nothing to do with America. It has to do with the coming Antichrist that is going to come. Uh, and and uh, so I just would like to chat with you a little bit more off the air as far as that is concerned. And hopefully um, we can either come to some understanding or some balance of the matter. I can hear your view. You can hear my view. And then you can decide whether, whether you embrace it or not. But I don't uh, personally... Uh, from a biblical perspective and understanding the book of Revelation, there's no nothing there to do with any of those four presidents whatsoever. They're not even mentioned in Bible prophecy. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.49. We have nine minutes left in tonight's episode. If you have a question, you can send it in quickly, and we will still get to it tonight. Lord willing, you can WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454, or you can call and be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. Pastor, I have a uh, message that was sent to me here, and it's talking about the how to kill a church. And there are eight items. I'm going to just list them off, and then I want to hear your, uh -huh. your feedback. 
number one, how to kill a church. Don't evangelize. Okay. Number two, regularly criticize leaders. Attend services infrequently. Refuse to volunteer. Neglect the youth. Complain more than encourage. And the last two are stop talking, stop taking the Bible seriously, and value your preferences over souls. Is that biblical? Is there truth to those statements? I don't think there's anybody would uh, dispute what uh, is being suggested here. I suppose the person has given some serious thought in it. For example, if you don't do evangelism, you can't grow a church. There's a reality. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think what happened to churches is that they were founded in evangelism, and then worship becomes the central thing. Hmm. Uh, I think that's the great biggest mistake that they have. So, but you can't uh, you can't grow a church without some kind of evangelism. Uh, and then the other one was what? Um, Regularly criticize leaders. Yeah, if you if you criticize the the, the, the leader of a church, uh, obviously you're going to create ill will, and um, you're not going to build up confidence in people. People don't want to come to a, a church where um, you know there's constant criticism and people can't trust the leader. So once you do that, some people have the pastor for lunch and on on, on uh, dessert on on, sun, on Sunday after after church service. But it doesn't help the situation when you do that kind of make that kind of a criticism. If you think the child pastor is not performing whatever it is, the, the simple solution, you know, a church can get rid of a pastor. A pastor can leave a church. So if the if it's not um, feel that they're fulfilling whatever it is, the church can meet and decide on those kind of matters. The other one is uh, infrequent services. Yeah, I think what has happened to COVID, by the way, has actually played into the very hand of of uh, the enemy. People, because the COVID is, uh, has been staying home, and that carries over even after COVID is over, and they're self-satisfied because they're now visiting the electronic church, and it's a complete uh, violation of what, or let's say, for sake, not the assembling of yourselves together. Um, so I think that we're going to be very, very careful. If you're going to go to church, you need to support the church, and one of the best ways to do that is to support the church with your presence. The other one is um, refuse to volunteer. Most things in the church depend on on, on, on person person volunteering, uh, and uh, if you're not going to make yourself available to be used, everything becomes a pain job now, and nobody's willing to do anything, make any kind of a sacrifice. That kills the whole spirit of Christianity, which is about service and servanthood. And I do feel that people should get involved. Yes. Pastor, we have a call from Montserrat. Thank you for calling, and go ahead very quickly with your questions, please. Good night, Pastor Nathan. Good night, Pastor Murphy. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, make up very quick. Sure. Just calling from the last caller that me way off. Oh, okay. Way, way, way off. And yeah. he got something wrong because we Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton made desert fox. Yeah. So there was war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And, and then and, he, he appeared here. As you say again, uh-huh. <laughs> Why is that about America don't even don't even know, know, know the prophecy like what he did say? Yeah. So he was way 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 off. That that all me calling to say. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Yeah. And from a biblical perspective, we uh, agree America is not mentioned directly in uh, Bible prophecy. All I would say, though, that I think you can look at the previous presidents that were mentioned. 
and you can see their role in helping to shape the world into what it has become. That's true. Because uh, I, I don't want to say too much, but quite frankly, if we were to go through this this, whole, this list uh, that were mentioned, uh, I could point out not only the moral declension of America, but I can also point out where, um, for example, how in the world did Russia get back into the Middle East? Uh, it had to get back in the Middle East, and there had to be a distinct president who would allow that to happen. It did happen, right? So I do feel that you can look at these presidents and look at it objectively, see how they've contributed to create the state that we're in, that is preparing the, 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 the foundation for the Antichrist to come in. And I think that you can show that from uh, all four of these people that were mentioned. The next one on this list of how to kill a church was neglect the youth. Yeah, uh, you know, we have our, uh, we felt the youth was so important that we have our own uh, youth pastor. Uh, the COVID has really affected the capacity to minister in that regard, but I, I, the youth is the future of the church. If you don't have, and, and I would put it this way, if you don't have a Sunday school and you don't have a youth, you're not going to have a church in years to come. Mm. The the Sunday school filters into this youth, the youth filter into the church. And uh, so you need to have those two things going if you're going to have an enduring church. Otherwise, you're going to have a church made up of all senior adults, all aging people with no energy, uh, and quite frankly, kind of uh, laid-back, lackadaisical, without any fire in them. You get the fire from uh, youth, and you get the fire from the people coming in from the Sunday school. So it's vitally important for the continuity of the church. Do you have this, this, this parade, as it were, sequential uh, age groups coming in? Otherwise, you end up being a, a church which becomes a social club uh, with tired people, with no vision and uh, no outreach, no nothing. Basically, you're just meeting to... Um, basically getting fat spiritually uh, and not giving out anything. What about complain more than encourage? Would that really kill a church? That, 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 that for sure, not only kill a church, it kill a home, it kill a business, it kill any institution, quite frankly. Uh, I know there are things to complain about, but you always look try to look for the positive as well. And you should be more positive than you are negative if you, if you expect a ministry to grow. It doesn't help. And by the way, those people who complain are, are mostly people who don't get involved. They can see every problem in the church every problem in the ministry. But when you ask them, what are they doing? Quite frankly, they're doing absolutely nothing. Uh, people who are busy, active in the ministry don't have time to complain. They actually engage in ministry. Uh, so I think there's an indication of how involved those people normally are. And stop taking the Bible seriously. Uh, this is happening all over the world right now. Uh, we are going through this final phase of apostasy where the church has turned away from truth. And what we have are sermonettes and anecdotal preaching. We don't have expository preaching. And uh, we have people who are strictly there to entertain. And uh, a sermon is judged more by how many claps the pastor get by the time it's finished and how many hallelujahs it get. Not the content of the message or the substance of what is being said. And I do believe that you can't live off pablum. You've got to have some kind of meat to live off. Otherwise... Uh, you, you suffer because you're not getting the ingredients you should. The final item on this list of how to kill your church is value personal preferences over souls. I think you would. Uh, I think we would appreciate that. That that that, that can be a reality. Uh, I'm not too sure what is really meant by valuing. Uh, what's the word there? Personal preferences. Pre preferences over souls. I'm not too sure what the the connection is there. But certainly, um, we have to be concerned about the souls of others. And when we get a burden for people, that comes to the outreach program. 
and we must not be so much concerned about our ease and our comforts when it comes to actually going out and reaching people. Today we've come to a church where we we want comfort, we want convenience, and anything that uh, upsets that comfort and that convenience, we don't seem to have any drive to do it. Uh, so we, we, we don't do evangelism, we don't do outreach. And again, the church is going to die if we don't do that. Pastor, if I find myself being guilty of one or more of these items, how should I go about rectifying the situation? Well, I think we've got to come back to what's the mandate of the church and what's the responsibility of the believer. And the mandate of the church is evangelism, go into all the world and reach the, uh, people with the gospel. If we find that we are violating biblical principles and, and uh, committing these kind of acts, it's a time for deep repentance and forgiveness and then begin to move on from there because once we repent, we must go forward. We must not stay in with guilt. We must uh, begin to obey Scripture and follow the principles of God's Word. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of That's Truth. Next week, we will pick up with another topic along these same lines of codependency. If you're not familiar with the term, make sure that you stay tuned and join us next week. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.